1: Amanda is an artist, and she has a business called Sketched and Sealed, where she paints personalized artwork. She's a wife and a mom to three children, ages six, three, and 10 months. She believes in chasing your dreams and is currently pursuing a degree in architecture. Amanda recently shared on Instagram about the extreme postpartum depression that she experienced after her second child, and I felt really moved by her story and wanted to invite her on to share more about that. Her her story of motherhood is beautiful and it shows how God helped her come out of the darkness she felt and I am really excited to be able to share a part of that with you today. So welcome to the podcast Amanda. Thank you. So glad that you're here. Okay, so let's let's dive in and talk about chasing your dreams because this was something I was impressed by both you and your husband have done this. And your husband is currently has pursued a dream to be a firefighter and is currently living that out. And you are a student of architecture with really big plans.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I would love to know, what do you hope your children are seeing and learning by watching you achieve your goals and live out your dreams?
0: So my husband and I had so much fun, like talking about this and we talk about this all the time. Um, <clears throat> but just kind of a little like dive in a little deeper, both of us, our passions and our dreams are led by God. So my husband has wanted to be a firefighter since he was two years old. And I mean, what child at two years old knows what they're going to do for the rest of their life, right? And so he was always taking steps to put him in the right direction all throughout high school and then through college. After he got all of his certifications, he was working at a warehouse packing boxes and trying to get a job, especially in Salt Lake City as a firefighter is very hard as a civilian. And it's like... A thousand applicants for one position, sometimes more. Oh wow. So he he was just trying to like support our family. At the time it was me, him, and our oldest daughter. She was 18 months. And he had prayed and prayed and prayed about what he should be doing. And he got the inspiration that he needs to be he needs to enlist in to the Air Force because they have firefighters. And so this is kind of a cool experience for us because when he first enlisted he was not offered a firefighter job. It wasn't until the day before he graduated basic training that they switched his job. And that's when I knew that he was doing like what the Lord wanted him to do. So now we're here in San Antonio. He's stationed um, at the local base here and it's been amazing. We've loved it. And then for me, it was after I went through all this postpartum, I was just really inspired. And at the temple, I had felt that I needed to go and go to school for architecture. And I want to be designing temples one day. And I feel like that's like our plan. And so it's fun to see both of us going down our path that we know, we know that God wants us to be doing. And it's so fun to see that with our kids. My kids look at my paintings that I do and they're like, mom, will you teach me how to paint the temples? I want to do that one day. Or they're like, I'm going to be a firefighter one day. Right now, my daughter, she um, really, really wants to be Cinderella or a mom. (laughs) <laughs> That's what, when I asked her what she wants to be when she grows up, she says she wants to be a mom or Cinderella. And I said, well, you will be great at both. <laughs> so, um, but the specifically the things that we try to teach our children, well, one, we're always asking them what they want to be when they grow up. So we're always keeping that like, Oh, what do I want to be when I grow up? We're trying to keep that like excitement about like setting goals and achieving them. And then you should always be happy with whatever you are doing. And if you're not happy about it, like when my husband was packing boxes, he wanted to be a firefighter and he was packing boxes at a warehouse. So he did something about it. He prayed and he joined the air force. And so if you're not happy, you do something about it. So you can set big goals and you can achieve them and you can follow a plan and you can stick to it and it'll get you there. My husband, when we were talking about this, he also said, come what may and love it. And I was like, Hey, what do you mean by that? He said, Sometimes things do not work out as planned, but it's your attitude that makes the difference. And it doesn't mean that you failed. It just means that you have a new tool to learn from and add it to your toolbox and keep going. So, I really loved the way that he he said that and I I'm excited to as our kids get older because they're kind of young right now. Our 6-year-old is starting to grasp the con- the concept of all of this. Yeah. But like in 10 months they're not there. So I'm excited as our kids grow older that
1: we can like continue to teach them, all of these things. So it's been fun that way. I I really think that, you know, you're starting when you're doing this, when your kids are young and you're developing that as your family culture. I mean, your family culture is Mm -hmm. we go after our dreams. We don't settle for just whatever. We, we have bigger plans and we go after them. So you're being a great example to your kids, I think. And I love that you're involving God in that and that you're recognizing his hand and, you know, that will definitely play out with your kids and them going after their dreams. And, and it's just a great example. I really love that you're doing that, especially while your kids are young and not waiting until they're older to teach them that. That's, that's absolutely great. Thank you. Another thing that I wanted to talk to you about that I mentioned in the, in the intro is that you have faced the very difficult challenge of severe postpartum depression. And you described this to me as Way more than just the baby blues. And I would agree after I heard about more about what your experience was. You were involuntarily checked into a mental health hospital. You were put on a suicide watch. And um, there was a lot of things that went into that. So, will you just tell us more about that experience and what led up to your being admitted to the hospital?
0: Yes. So, I want to first start this out with a huge, huge medical disclaimer that this is my story. And this may not be the case for every person. Right. Because Um, whether you're you're doing medication or you're doing therapy or whatever, different things work for different people. So that's just I'm throwing that out there right now because I don't want anybody to be like, well, medication didn't work for her, so I'm not gonna do it because I'm not a doctor. (laughs) So just throwing that out there for now. Very good point. My husband and I kind of broke this down. And what we think happened was when my daughter was born, first of all, we moved into our house, we closed on my due date and we moved into my house the day my daughter was born. So I was in the hospital. I had had her three hours before my husband picked up the moving truck. So the second I got home from the hospital, I was unpacking. I was, um, doing home improvements cause we didn't have a pantry. So we had to kind of customize one in a little closet that we had. And so I was like at Lowe's three days after I had a baby and I just was n- nonstop moving, 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 moving. And then I, we bought this house intentionally because I wanted to run an in-home daycare in our front room. And that choice was not a good one for me because I don't, it just didn't work out. It was too overwhelming with too many kids. I went from one cute, easy two-year-old to having six children all under the age of four,
1: 60 hours a week. And you had just had so, a baby,
0: mm-hmm, right? Yeah. <laughs> so and the hard part too, is a lot of people that do in-home daycare, they may not have their own children at home. And so when the, all the kids leave, they get to unwind. When all the kids left, I still had two of my own. Right. So when I opened my daycare and I had done all of the work, all of the prep work, all before my daughter t- turned two months old. So when she was two months old, I started taking in children. So I didn't get any rest time. So we think that it was not allowing me to rest after the baby was born and just being completely overwhelmed. But I just kept going. I kept going. I thought my daycare needed to look perfect. I was like, this Pinterest perfect, like set up. And I just wanted to appear that I had it all together.
1: I don't, I don't think you're alone in that. I think any mom can relate to that. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's just hard to get like caught up. Like you want to be competitive and you want to have this super cute space and like people to know that they're, cause their kids are safe. You know what I mean? It's just making it, extra so that they, you stand out above the rest of the mm-hmm. daycares. And it, it was a very competitive area here, but the air force, I was licensed through the air force and they put so many regulations. Like I couldn't even go to the bathroom without making all of the children stop what they're doing, pick up the babies, put everybody by the bathroom door and go to the restroom. So it was just really it required too much of me. About eight months into that, I know um, when my daughter was about eight months old, I was just really at a bad place and I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. I, my, my body ached all the time. I thought I had fibromyalgia and I was telling my husband, I think I need to go to the doctor. Like I cannot stand, like, why does my body ache all the time? So I went into the doctor with the intention, like, and knowing that they were just going to diagnose me with fibromyalgia. I just knew it. And when they told me it's not fibromyalgia, it's actually postpartum depression. I said, "Are you crazy? (laughs) How does that make any sense?" I was like, "But my whole body aches." And they said, "That's actually a symptom that not a lot of people know about." I googled it, and it's not one of the first symptoms that come up, but it is one of them. And so, anyways, I guess it is. So that's where I got diagnosed. And so from there, I started going through therapy. And I had so I was meeting with a therapist, and they immediately put me on Zoloft because it's one of the only medications that are approved while you're nursing, and it took away my body aches. So that was a sign like, okay, well, maybe that is right. So that was cool. But it started to my depression started to get worse. So I was meeting with a therapist and I was meeting with the Air Force has this program. It's called New Parent Support. And a nurse practitioner comes to your house a couple of times a week and helps you kind of mentally deal with the parenting thing. She gives you tips and tricks and things like that. So was coming. So I was having visions of hurting myself or others and I was telling this nurse practitioner, and then she set me up with a postpartum specialist that I went to go see. And my very first appointment with her was when they took me down to the emergency room and had me admitted. And I think it was because of the visions. They were so graphic and so severe. And I don't necessarily want to share them openly, but if anybody has issues with this or anything, if they are looking for advice, they're welcome to message me personally. and I'd be happy to
1: share that okay, story. That's with That's great. Them. So, so you're, you get admitted to the hospital because you're having these extreme visions of wanting to hurt yourself and, and other people. So you get into the hospital and at first you're a little bit resistant to this. I mean, you were involuntarily put in there, but you did tell me that you got to the point where you knew that you needed God's guidance. So how did you get there? How did you know that you needed God and how did you get over that resistance to the point where you knew you needed help?
0: Well, when I first got there, I was so mad. I was so mad because I felt betrayed by my therapist because she told me that the ER was going to adjust my medication. They shouldn't tell me I was going down there to get admitted. Mm-hmm. And so when they like took everything out of the room and asked me to put on these scrubs and give them my clothes, like it was it very invasive and very like, why are you treating me this way? And same thing. They transported me by ambulance over to the mental hospital. And I was like, why am I here? And then I go in. I, I didn't get admitted until like two o'clock in the morning when I finally got into my room. And at like six o'clock in the morning, I wake up to this lady just freaking out, yelling at all the staff. She's waking everybody up. And I was like, man, why am I here with all of these people? They're so crazy. I don't belong here. I remember there was this guy that would just keep crying. Like he anytime anybody would say anything to him, he would burst into tears. Like, geez, I don't belong here. What is wrong with these people? I'm like, I was still so mad that I was there. And day two came around and the therapist wouldn't let me go home. I was like, yeah, I'm doing good. They're gonna send me home. And he said, No, you're not ready yet. So it was after that they wouldn't let me come home on that second day that I thought, I have this eight-month-old baby at home that's still nursing and a three-year-old that I went to a doctor's appointment and I never came home. My husband was, you know, having a hard time balancing everything. So his sister was lucky enough to fly down and help with everything, but I just needed to get home. So I just prayed and I prayed. And I said, what do I need to come home? Like, I just need to get home to my kids and because they wouldn't let me go. And um, I felt inspired to have my husband bring me my scriptures. And one of my very good friends, she sent me a care package that had like, it was just a box of sunshine, but also had the the personal progress program for the youth. And it was through there that I started like just reading my scriptures more and doing more things. And I just felt like I needed to have a prayer group so I started, I just asked everybody, I said, I don't know if you guys are religious,
1: but I just feel like we need to kind of come together. How did that change your perception of these people? Because you said when you first got there, you were like, these are a bunch of crazy people, I don't belong here. How did starting this prayer group with them change your view of the people that were around you? So it was
0: so fun because we
1: all got to, like, it was just something that we just did. It was, it just went
0: so smoothly. People got together and they shared their testimonies of how they know that God is helping them through this. And I got to know these people personally, the woman that was waking everybody up in the middle of the night, she had been a victim of sexual assault that happened every morning right before six o'clock. So when she woke mm-hmm. up screaming at that time, it was a PTSD thing. And then the, the man that kept crying, I found out through this prayer group that his wife had just died of cancer and his, his son took his own life right after that. So within a couple yeah. of weeks, he lost his whole family.
1: And so. So it sounds like you were really able to see them in a much different light by, by bringing God into it. So what did the prayer group look like? What would you do? So we would
0: open with a prayer and I, we just kind of, whoever volunteered for it and we would do a scripture and then everybody would just kind of take a turn just to share something that they felt like spiritually inspired that day. And when we first started, it was a ton of people. So many people came and then I don't know if it's just maybe not for everybody, but we had it got to be a more of an intimate group. And that's when we really started to blossom and people would we would all hold hands and um people would sing songs and we would read scriptures and we would just all say prayer together just like to get through this. So I just started to see these people in a real light. Like they these people are just like me. We have something very overwhelming happening in our life and we just need help managing all these hormones, all these traumas, all these different things that are going on, I think there's the stigma with the mental health facility that makes people go, Oh, they're crazy. Like right, that is not good. They, right. They are, they're psycho. I mean, even
1: you yourself were thinking that, right? When you first got there, you're like, I don't belong here. I'm not crazy. You know, I totally thought that. And, and I think even my husband did. And you know, it's just one
0: of those things that you don't realize how important places like that are until you're there and they're not crazy. People just need a little bit of help and it's okay. And yeah. I'm telling you so after that experience, it changed my life. I was able to see that God had a plan for me. He had a big plan. And when I got home, I was able to, I just said the most direct prayer I have ever said in my life. I said, heavenly father, Please tell me what my purpose is in this life. I have a big purpose and I need to know what that is. And he said, go to the temple. And I said, no, 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 that's not my purpose. (laughs) What's my purpose? He said, go to the temple. (laughs) I'm like, okay. And it was there where I got the huge, overwhelming impression that I needed to be designing temples one day. That my talent was in architecture. And so I started school. And I've maintained... I. I'm on my last semester. I start next week on my final semester at the college I'm attending. And I've maintained a 4.0 the entire time. And I have three kids and I run a small business doing my paintings. And it's, it's just overwhelming to me how, when you follow God's plan, everything just works out the way it needs to. He has a plan and it's there. And if you listen, he makes it so easy for you to succeed.
1: So, so what do you think made the difference for you? Because a lot of people say that prayer and they say, what's my purpose? God help me to know. And he guides them. But some people don't have the courage or the faith to follow that. How were you able to do it? How did you follow through and go register for school and, you know, get help with your, your postpartum depression and all of that? How did you start taking steps in that direction?
0: Well, I'll be honest. That wasn't the very first time I said a prayer like that before because I, yeah, I was searching for, for guidance. I was searching for a purpose, but that was the first time that I was like, I'm giving this entirely to you. I cannot Mm -hmm. do this back anymore. This is your problem. Now tell me what I need to do. And I just gave it to him. I said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Tell me what I need to do. And it, he just told me, he said, go to the temple. And that's where he told me I needed to go to school. And really, honestly, it's, um, I had hit rock bottom and I had nowhere else to go. So that was the guidance mm-hmm. I was given. And that's the guidance I'm going to take. It was like, I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to say what the Lord does be, or do what the Lord says, because I mean, what else is there?
1: Right. And I I think what you said is a really key thing. If if someone's wondering, you know, how do I follow through on what Heavenly Fathers told me, it's giving it over to him, right? Mm -hmm. It's not saying, Oh yeah, thanks for that direction. Now I'm gonna do what I want. It's really, (laughs) truly giving it over to him. I've experienced that in my life and it's hard, but it does make all the difference. It really does. And it it sounds like that's what you that was what made the difference for you is that you were able to just say, Okay, I'm ready. I'm turning it all over to you. I'm casting this burden on you. And, and then you went, went from there. I think that, I think that is really remarkable. That's really great. And it's a great example to anyone who's looking for purpose is to turn it over to him. Yes. So uh, this, you know, we talked to, we talked before the interview about there is a, a stigma with postpartum depression and with mental health in general. And, and, you know, you, you had to get help involuntarily. Because, you know, you weren't seeing it yourself of how, how extreme this was. And, you know, you had to have someone else step in and help you to get the help that you needed. So what should someone do if they see a friend or a family member who they think is struggling with postpartum depression? What, what can someone else do to help someone in their life that is, they're seeing this?
0: My husband was searching and searching for answers on like what he could do to help because he knew that there was an issue and he's like, I don't know what's wrong with my wife. This is not her. Like, what do I do? and he had asked um when i when i was released from the hospital he specifically asked like what can i do to help her and they told him that people suffering with postpartum depression feel like they are going 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 and hitting every single green light and eventually they're going to run out of gas and they're going to be tired and so they need that opportunity to rest and they need that opportunity for someone else to fill up the tank and kind of take over on the driving Like Mm -hmm. you you have to relieve the overwhelm and you have to let them rest. There was a time that I got really upset with my husband over something really dumb. It was just a birthday party or whatever. And I had a complete mental breakdown over it. So I went out and I sat on the porch and he came out after I kind of calmed down a little bit and he said, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to think, I just want you to answer. What do you need in this very moment? And the first thing I said was sleep. He said, okay, I've got the kids. You go sleep. I slept for four hours for that nap. That's a lot longer than a nap, but my body needed it. And when I woke up, I wasn't in such a mental turmoil. And so I think it's really just, if you have family or a loved one or a friend that's going through it, the biggest thing you can do is go over to their house and take care of their kids and do the dishes or let them sleep. Or, because I know people offer that, like, I'll come over and I'll let you sleep. But no one, at least I don't, I don't call people and say, hey, can you come over and clean my house while I sleep? Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to do that. I think you most, have most to...
1: people would be in that same boat. We're, we're not, not going want... to do that.
0: Yeah. I think we're too prideful. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I was going through it that I just wanted someone to read my mind. I wanted someone to say, hey, I'm going to take your daughter to the park. Or, Hey, I'm going to come over and help you do your laundry. Like those simple things are so crucial in overcoming. this. So you just have to know that you've got someone on your side yeah. and someone that's willing to come in and help you and trying to keep a schedule when you're going through all of this is so impossible because your brain, you're just like, I don't want to do it. I just want to lay in bed all day. So if you have the ability to help your loved one stay on a schedule I'm lucky enough that my husband, he's a firefighter. So he's home one day and gone another, he's works 24 hour shifts, but every other day he's home the entire day. Yeah. So I kind of get that reset where he can help me kind of keep things balanced. But I know that some women aren't blessed with, with that schedule. So, and their husbands are gone all the time, or maybe their husbands aren't so supportive or they're just doing it on their own, whatever.
1: Yeah. I like, I like what you said about just, um, alleviating the overwhelm that someone is feeling and, and stepping in. And one of the things that you said was you just wish that someone could read your mind. And I think that is where God comes into all of this because we have the ability to help other people through the spirit. Like I don't drive by my neighbor's house and know what's going on inside of there. I don't know what's going on. And like you said, we put on a facade for other people, but the way that we can know how to help others is through the spirit and we can pray and know, and and it's being aware of those warning signs. So I think you talking about postpartum depression may help someone else be aware of someone in their life that's that's struggling. And then that gives us the opportunity to pray and to go by the spirit and to know how, the, how we can help because, you know, we don't know. And that, just you saying that, I wanted someone to read my mind. Well, Heavenly Father knows everything. God, is, he's all knowing, he knows what we need. And he's not going to come down personally and help us, but he can send someone else. Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, there's, there's two sides of it. You know, we can pray for help, and at in and then we can be the one to go out and help and to follow the Spirit and be able to do that. I really am grateful that you would, you know, share your experience because I know I know it will help someone else. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about is kind of your philosophy about motherhood, and you you told me that it could kind of be summed up in this quote by Thomas S. Monson. And it says, the present is here, live in it. So what does that mean to you? You know, I think it can come in a couple different ways. There's people, and I I fall under both of these
0: categories, so (laughs) I'm probably not the only one. But I think, one, like the social media and phone usage and the overage of it, I think Mm -hmm. we get caught in it so much that we really just need to focus. Because when we're behind our phone, we miss some of the very fun things that our kids are doing, or we miss opportunities. Christy Wright is one of my favorite motivational speakers. And she had said, if you want to find happiness, you won't find it on Facebook.
1: That's a good point. Yeah.
0: And I really, I really love that because it's true. I know that I don't feel Edified after I get off like a three hour social media scroll. Like, you know what I mean? So, I think that's important. But I also think that it comes with setting. Okay, so I'm also a big goal setter and I also plan months and months in advance. Like, I'm already planning into the next year and it's August and I'm already planning into January. And I get caught up in that sometimes. Like, right now, I'm really planning about like Pinner's Conference and everything I have coming up in November and everything I have to do to prepare all of my stuff that I forget to focus on my kids. And I I miss watching them play head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And I forget that I promised my daughters that I would play Barbies with them because I'm so caught up in trying to reach those goals. So I think it's important to have those goals, but we need to make sure that we don't miss out on the other special moments in front of us.
1: Yeah. When you said that, it made me think of the phrase joy in the journey that... That's that's living in the present. That's, you know, we can have these goals. And I'm the same exact way. Like I totally get what you're saying. You know, we (laughs) see this goal off in the distance, and we just want to get there. But there is so much joy and so much goodness, especially with our children, that we can find along the way. So we are out of time today. And I really loved talking with you. And thank you for being brave enough to share your story, because I know that it will help someone else. But to end, I, am, I have the same question I ask every guest that I would like to ask you. How have you seen and felt God as your partner in motherhood?
0: You know, I, sometimes I feel like I ignore him, but then I realize that I don't because he's there in the moments that you don't realize he is. He's there in the, I love you, mom. He's there in the, thanks, mom. He's also there when you feel just an overwhelming amount of pride in your kid, but he's also there through the hard parts. And it's so easy to like turn to him when you need help, but I think it's harder to turn to him when things are going really good, but he's still there. He's still there and he guides us and he loves us and he wants us to be good moms.
1: And yeah, I think, I think you're so right. It's, he's there in the hard times. He's there in the good times. And it's really just up to us to recognize and to take the time to say, you know, he really blessed me today or. Even if it's just in a small way, sometimes we, we think of God and it has to be these big grandiose things that he does. But really, he's also there in the little details, the mundane things that we do. He's, he's always there. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being part of it.